who are the most divisive and polarizing prospects in this draft class? You can find out here on the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. All right, yo, what up? You are listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, your daily NBA draft podcast. I am Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. I've made a name for myself as the guy that knows all the international prospects, but my co-host, Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs slash Magic Draft, or I got a new nickname for him, the Clip God. He's known for posting video clips from everyone from top prospects to obscure prospects across the world. Richard, what you got going on for me? Hey, uh, as uh, I think it was takeoffs and not from LA, but I clip them uh, <laughs> in, in the lamest way possible. But no, I, uh, I appreciate the warm introduction. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Excited to talk about some polarizing prospects. All right, I'll let you go first. Who is the most polarizing prospect in your opinion in, in this draft class? Yeah, I'm going to keep the top four guys out of it because Chet takes the crown pretty safely. I think you talk to anybody uh, on the street and they're going to have a different opinion on him. You're not going to get the same one twice. I'll start with my most polarizing guy that I've seen is Jeremy Sohan. I think people either love him or hate him because of that jump shot. You know, I talked to a scout this morning. He uh, sent me a text. It was like seven o'clock in the morning and he said he listened to my podcast on the the top defenders in the draft and so he had mentioned Tari Eason and I was asking him about Sohan because he felt like he liked Eason a lot he thinks Eason can come in and contribute right away and um, you know be able to play defense in in the Eastern Conference and so I was asking him about Sohan who did he think was better and he was not really impressed with Sohan period so you're kind of on to something. And so outside of the jump shot, and I know, I think it's something that you mentioned before, you don't believe that he can play role, a role, you know, you don't believe that he is the versatile offensive threat that people kind of make him out to be. Is that correct? Yeah, just the, I think Jake Rosen had a really good piece about it. It's one, he really just can't shoot. There's been no indication of shooting. And then he doesn't attack closeouts because he's not that athletic offensively. I, I don't think he knows how to use his athleticism on the offensive end like he does on defense and his overall burst out of pump fakes is pretty subpar, I would say. So that limits what he can do on the wing. All right, here's a question for you. I saw someone mention that people were all in on Okoro, Isaac Okoro, a few years ago, but now people are kind of iffy on Sohan. In your opinion, what is the big difference? Because Okoro couldn't shoot either. But yeah, he, was I, still, uh, he still went pretty high in the draft. A good draft, too. I think it's a good question. I wasn't super high on Okoro. Um, I still had him in my top 10, but it was a little bit different for me. I think being 6'5", there was always a hope he could shoot, and I believe he had better free throw percentage. Um, I think it was also, you know, in a similar way. He could, he could handle the ball a little bit more. And I think this is the big one, the athleticism. He had a lot more explosiveness. And just the way he came off pump face, he put his man in the rearview mirror. Sohan does not do that. Yeah, but who was falling for Isaac Okoro pump fake? And you know what? There are some, <laughs> there are some bad defenders in the league. I think people, like, people will be amazed. Like, there are guys that will bite on anything. Yeah, I mean, 
falling for Isaac Okoro pump fake. I mean, if, if there's like maybe 10 guys in the NBA who I say you, you don't fall for their pump fakes, I, I would say he's one of them. Not a knock on him. So where do you you have Sohan where on your on your latest board? Is he still in the in the 20s? No, no. I moved him up one one big spot to uh, 19. So no, he's I, a teenager I now. I still think I, I still think, you know, you hope you get old Iguodala, the Warriors Iguodala part of that death lineup. I think that's really the ceiling for him. You had a guy who teams look at him and go, are you really going to shoot? And then he shoots and maybe sometimes it goes in. It's hard to doubt guys like him that are so intelligent and work hard. And, you know, I think that combination will get him places. And ultimately that's just somebody I don't want to doubt because I, I've done that before. I'm like, oh, well, they can't shoot. It doesn't matter. Sometimes those mm-hmm. intangibles do outweigh it. Yeah, I think he's still working out here in Dallas. I I literally saw on an Instagram page a barber put that he cut his hair. And so um, it, it's funny because I thought I was the only one that compared guys to old so-and-so. And so one of my Bancaro comparisons, Paolo Bancaro, that is, is, well, I guess not necessarily old, but old slash Detroit Pistons healthy Blake Griffin, the year that he averaged like 24 10 and five. And I think that is one of my comparisons for Ben Carroll. All right. So here's one of my divisive polarizing prospects. And we talked a little bit about it. Dyson Daniels, right? It's amazing to me that the season ended and he has just shot up boards. You know who he might be? And, and this is the only comparison I can think of. Remember like last year after was it last year or the year before? My years are starting to run together. The year that JT Thor all of a sudden shot up everybody's draft board and became like a, a favorite after the season ended. It's like there were no more games and all of a sudden his stock started to rise. And with Daniels, I get it. I mean, there's a there's value for big wing ball handlers. There's value in guys that can, you know, be like this connective tissue and that can defend multiple positions. But if the shot is not falling, and I mean, that is the biggest concern is the jump shot. But it seems like based off of what I've been seeing, and of course, one of the things I feel like this year more than others is, and maybe because I have more intel than than in past years, is that social media, like Twitter, draft Twitter, can be higher on guys than NBA scouts or NBA executives. Now, I think Dyson Daniels is somewhere in the middle there, but to me, it's just kind of amazing how his draft stock has skyrocketed after the season ended. What are yeah, your thoughts he, on that? He's somebody who, you know, he probably is shooting well in workouts, but the listen to the field goal percentage, and I mean, the field goal percentage is fine. The three-point percentage, 30% on the year. You know, he had a, clo- a strong closing to the season, but – 60 and a half percent from the free throw line like that's always been the strong number right like we always hear trust the free throw percentage more than a three-point percentage in a toss-up like one example that always comes to mind Lonzo Ball shot 44 percent from three uh this is not the best example now that he's turned it around but 67 percent from the line in the early years in in LA slash New Orleans he was kind of struggling to shoot the three ball that he obviously changed his form so that kind of goes out the window because he wasn't working with the same product but guys like Dyson Daniels confuse me. I think you said it well that, you know, when you have these great traits, having a big weakness, weakness completely negates some of those strengths, though. Uh, and to me, that's why one of the 
my comparison for him, I see a lot of this. I don't think he is much of an athlete in the half court, kind of like Sohan. And for me, he's like a bigger Jared Culver in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's a great defender. And, you know, and, and I don't Ooh. think that's like, that's his floor. I don't, I'm not going to say like, oh, he's definitely that. If that was the case, he wouldn't be in my top 20. But I think that's a very reasonable outcome people need to familiarize themselves with. Like you said, you know, every year there's a disconnect. 2019, there, that year was polarizing to me because I, I would watch guys like PJ Washington and draft Twitter was like, no, this guy's not much. Grant Williams, though, he's a top five player. Like, I don't know if you remember, that was a really popular opinion, him and Culver in the top five. And it just feels like we're kind of shaping up to that kind of draft again, where it's just so polarizing at the top. Yeah, so this is my thing with Dyson Daniels. I, I think he is Lonzo Ball. And I mean, it's not just the visual comparison. I, I think he's similar um maybe not as good of a shooter which Lonzo was very streaky like very very streaky Lonzo's one of those guys where you look at the end of the season and say dang he really shot 38 percent from three but Lonzo has some really really bad misses and for me I would miss on a guy like Dyson Daniels all the time because he is not the type of player that I that that aesthetically that I like I want my point guard to be able to get downhill. I want my point guard to be able to, you know, if he, if the jump shot's not falling, at least be able to, you know, like I said, get downhill, get to the free throw line, collapse the defense and make plays for others. And Daniels is a guy that's, he only gets to the free throw line like once a game. And I know like Halliburton is also in that mode as someone that doesn't really get downhill and doesn't really like, pressure the defense but I know for me I like downhill attackers and guys that are aggressive so he is a guy that I'm a little bit divided on because it's not like he's not my style of play I think we all have a style of, of player that we like I like shot creators I like guys that can go out and get their own bucket and um, and if you're not that then I need you to be either a great shooter or like a dynamic playmaker. I'm not really big on just like connective tissue guys in the top 10. So I I agree with you on, on that. All right, before we get into the next round of players, I want to talk to you about Sakara. Now, if you don't know what Sakara is, Sakara is, it is like, I guess the best way to put it is a wellness company that is anchored in food as medicine, and it is on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. So feeling your best starts with what you eat, and Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious plant-rich transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. And now that it's summer, it is the time to seek wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of your life. And it starts with what you eat. With Sakara, you get nutrient-dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without ever sacrificing, sacrificing taste or quality. So looking and feeling your best shouldn't mean deprivation. Instead, choose joy and abundance. Sakara's organic, plant-rich, transformational nutrition programs are designed to help you cultivate body intelligence so you can nourish your body and experience the results that you want. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter the code locked on 20 at checkout. That is sakara, S A K A R A dot com slash locked on 20 
to get 20% off your first order. Again, sarkar.com slash locked on 20. All right, this is something new for you. We are having a listener survey, and it's just a favor that we're asking from you. We now have put together a survey where we can learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcast. So go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take your audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. All right, once again, you are listening to the NBA Big Board Podcast. I am Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board. And my co-host today is Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mr. Mav slash Magic Draft. All right. Who is your divisive prospect? I'm going to start this, uh, this portion off with Jaden Hardy from the G League. He's somebody who I once had number one on my board preseason. I thought that shot creation was going to look so good in the G League with the fast tempo. And he played terribly in terms of efficiency. I think to me, he reminds me of Cam Thomas with better playmaking and a lot worse shot making. And to me, that's a scary prospect. But I know there's a lot of people that still will put him top 15. And I kind of understand why. If you're looking at process over results, there are routes to, to success for him. My worry is the, the biggest thing for me that, that holds me back on that thinking is he doesn't create a ton of space on drive. He doesn't separate on drives. He should be more explosive, but just isn't. Yeah, he's, he's looking to get to sweet spots to pull up. He is Cam Thomas, <laughs> in a sense. And I had posed a question before, like, what is the difference? Like, and I, I did this earlier in the season. Like, why is there such a, a, a divide between Cam Thomas and Jaden Hardy? And at the time, a lot of people said, well, because they felt like Hardy could play some point guard. He had some lead ball handler capabilities. I don't know if he really got a full opportunity to showcase that, which could be the reason why he's going to possibly end up falling into the same range where Cam Thomas went in the draft. So I could, I could definitely see that. All right. For me, my next polarized polarizing prospect is Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. This is one that I am torn on. I've had him as high as like 11 on different boards. I think one time I had him outside of the top 20. He's tough for me because I can make a case and say he had two of the better games this season. He had the game against Tennessee. I think he was like 10 of 13 from the floor. Then he had a game where he had like 17 points, 17 assists. The numbers like really declined after he got hurt, sprained his ankle. He was never the same after that. Then when I see him and I watch him, it's kind of like Dyson Daniels in a sense. I like my point guard to be able to get downhill. I like an aggressive slasher. I mean, like visually, I think I would like a J.D. Davison type over, over uh, Ty Ty Washington. Uh, I've made some comments about his age, being a little bit older for his class. He was 20 as a freshman, which even though I shouldn't compare myself to some of these guys, but when I was 20, I was like, a junior <laughs> I was like a junior in college so I think he's a little older for his class he doesn't have like the explosiveness or athleticism that I usually like but I know he can shoot and I know that he has a great floater 
that kind of makes up for his lack of being able to put pressure on the rim. But where I'm really torn at is he went to Kentucky and you have to factor in Kentucky guards outplay their draft position. And I mean, the biggest, well, the most recent one is Tyrese Maxey. Maxey came into his freshman year. A lot of people thought he's going to be a lottery pick. Had a good year at Kentucky, not what people expected. Then, you know, you started kind of picking at him. Oh, his shot release is too low. Is he a one? Is he a two? The next thing you know, he ends up falling to the 20s. And then in a redraft, he's definitely a lottery pick, right? You can make a case to say Maxi is, you know, he is in position to possibly be a max player when his rookie contract ends. I don't want to make that same mistake I made on, on, on Maxi. Then you can look at like Devin Booker. You can, I mean, which Devin Booker should not have been playing behind the Harrison twins. That was probably one of the craziest uh, mistakes Kyle has made. Tyler Hero. I mean, you can go on. So what are your thoughts on Ty Ty Washington? Are, are we on the same page here? Or are you like locked with him being in, in a certain range? Yeah, he's interesting because in January I go, all right, I saw three games of him. Do not overthink this guy. He's obviously going to stick. But then it started being like, okay, but how does he stick? And I, I was like, I think I started overthinking this because I then started going, well, Kentucky guards, all this thing, you know, like, like you said, and it's, it makes it really hard. But just to kind of advocate for Ty Ty, and I want to factor in the opponent's change uh, in this range, but Ty Ty's first 18 games, this was before the injury. He averaged 14 points a game, four rebounds, four and a half assists, one steal, and just 1.8 turnovers on 50, 40, 77. So you're shooting 40% from three, 50% from the field after that. And again, season went on. He played tougher SEC teams. This includes the NCAA tournament the, um, and the SEC tournament. But 12 games after the injury, it drops from 14 to 11 points a game. Assists go down by one and a half. Rebounds are even dropping by one and a half. Steals went up. Turnovers stayed the same. So that assist to turnover ratio shrunk. And his field goal percentage was atrocious, 36%, 29% from three, and even the free throws fell. So I don't know if it was the competition or the injury. So maybe there's some hidden upside in the injury more than the Kentucky element. But the one thing that continues to scare me with Ty Ty, you, you brought it up, you touched on it for a second. That dude cannot finish out the rim. There's no, like, you said he uses the floater to negate some of it. He uses the floater to avoid going to the rim. Like he, I saw him do three reverse layups. On my count, he had three it was single digits one way or another. I probably didn't see every one of them, but he did no layup attempts. It was all floaters stopping short, even shooting the ball early. So he didn't have to deal with the big. And that scares me a ton. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's just because of his lack of explosiveness? I know at the beginning of the year, it was the game against Duke. He really struggled in that game. I think kills just kind of locked him down. And then all of a sudden, he started playing a little bit better, but I, I have so many concerns. But what, what are your thoughts about his athleticism or lack thereof? Yeah, he tops out as like an okay athlete. And and that's a worry. I don't know how good he'll be on defense. And and because of all this, I have him around the 20s on my board because I can live with missing on what I see as a backup point guard. He's going to play for a while. And if you're in the league for like, I see him as like an eight to 10 year guy, you're probably a top 25 player just by nature of the draft how it works but like you know if he ends up being top 15 i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kick myself for missing him he's just kind of like you said with dyson daniels he's one of those guys you afford to miss you can afford to miss 
And the thing about him is he's one of these guys that you can feel a certain way about it and you feel like you're in your gut, you're right. And then you go like look at his advanced numbers and then he has this stat that just makes you question what you saw. He shot 62% around the rim this year. <laughs> so it's only on 32 attempts. So, I mean, that could be, I mean, this is in a half court and not including post-ups. But he shot 57% on floaters, which has him in the top 94 percentile. But just finishing around the basket, he shot, he was in the top 74 percentile, shot 62.5%. Does that number shock you? I mean, the floater one, not at all. I wonder, yeah. I've always wondered about some of the stats if they blend, like, because a floater very close to the rim might get misconstrued as a shot at the rim. I also think though that like the shots he did take at the rim were probably no big was near him. It was probably another guard on the contest. And that would be my guess as to how he got uh, those shots. Yeah. That's one of my crazier stats. Uh, another one that just kind of, uh, I, mean, I can name two stats that are really crazy. I mean, this is kind of off topic. One is, you know, the knock on Keegan Murray is a shot creation and ability to create his own offense. He ranked in the top 80 percentile in isolation scoring <laughs> with no dribble moves. And then um, uh, Chet Holmgren only shot like 33 percent on jump shots in the half court. And like his like the contrast between his field goal percentage as far as shooting in transition and in the half court is is pretty glaring. With Chet, I think that's – I would play devil's advocate on him. I know this is way off topic. But the thing with Chet, with that number, is I think what makes special him so special is that he can pull up in transition, and that's like a huge weapon. I think I'm almost willing to excuse that. But, sorry, I wanted to clarify since that's kind of just a huge strength of his is that ability to bring it up and just pull up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it kind of made me think about, all right, if he's in the half-court set and then catch-and-shoot situations – I think that's going to be his best asset on offense is being able to shoot, catch and shoot jumpers. I, I don't see him getting post-up opportunities. I don't see him driving to the rim because I don't know if he can handle contact like that. But you know what? Let's talk about Chet. He's going to be my divisive prospect. I know we didn't want to talk about him, but let's talk about Chet in the next segment. But let's talk about Bet Online first. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. You can find all of the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, aka the NBA Finals, NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, the latest fighting news from MMA to UFC and boxing. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online is where the game starts. All right, last segment, Chet Holmgren. He is, I mean, this is kind of a lazy topic. We've been talking about him literally since last August. He is one of my most divisive prospects and probably the most divisive prospect. And it's not because of the... I think he's not going to be durable because of his size. But like I mentioned in the last segment, where does he get his offense at in the half court? If the jump shot isn't falling, then I don't know how he scores. Um, the numbers for him this year were, were were pretty interesting, simply because when I he shot 39% from three on three attempts per game, 
36% on jump shots. I apologize. But it was 33 point, it was 33% on catch and shoot jumpers, 33% on jumpers off the dribble in the half court. But that means his shooting percentage in transition was like, I mean, it was absurd. I mean, I think he probably shot like 60% or more um on jumpers in transition. So what are your thoughts on on Chet? Yeah, the half court definitely will be a little bit of a concern. I think some of the numbers overstate the issue, though, just because of him playing with Drew Timmy. Um, I think it kind of made things awkward. I know he will be playing with another big in the NBA, but not. I doubt he's playing with another big quite like that. Uh, the most likely case, I would say, is, you know, if he goes to Orlando, he has Wendell Carter. It's a decently similar one, but I think they can play off each other better. I trust his catch and shoot. I think I think it's just projectable form. I think it'll come with reps. The the thing for me though, like I, I think he's not gonna have to be an off ball player in the half court. I think his on ball damage is all gonna come in transition. His ability to to bring the ball up the floor automatically as a big man just creates a mismatch in the in transition defense. You automatically are gonna have somebody, uh, whether it's a point guard having a center on him. Uh, a small forward with a point guard on them that can just do a quick post up a la Keegan Murray's uh, bread and butter. I, I think that's going to create so many mismatches that the half court on ball creation issues are going to be minimal in that regard. And then you just use them as a pure off ball player. I know it's not necessarily the problem is, so it's not what you want from your number one pick. Yep. All right. Defensively. What are your thoughts on him defensively? Like what position does he start off at? I actually, I think he's perfect for what Orlando has in place. They they basically ran a trial where Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba played together and one would stay high on the perimeter and one would stay low near the block. And it worked to perfection. Mo Bamba had his best defensive year of his career and Wendell had his best offensive. And I think they're going to do something just like that. They're going to utilize his even better shot blocking instincts than Mo Bamba has. And I think he's going to rake I think he's going to absolutely rake on defense so long as he doesn't get a, get a ton of switches on the perimeter. All right. If he ends up in OKC, how do they use him? That's a little bit tougher. Uh, the, <laughs> one, the one thing, though, that I would, I would be optimistic for just in general is I don't have as much of a game plan for them is Oklahoma City had a really good defense this year. It's lost because they were in the lottery. Uh, a lot of people forget it, but I think that Oklahoma City's defense is, with him would be even better than it was this year. Yeah, I mean, they need some front court help, in my opinion. All right, one last player. I'm going to go with another Baylor guy, Kendall Brown. And with Kendall Brown, I was high on him, man. I remember, I think at one point in November, I thought he was top five. And he's fallen off a cliff on my board. I think that... I don't know what he brings to the table. I, I don't know what his skill set that he can hang his hat on on offense. He's a very, very reluctant shooter. I know he's a good ball mover. He can pass. And I get that. But it's hard to unlock your passing instincts and court vision and, you know, ability to make plays for others if you're not a threat to score. What position do you see Kendall Brown? Is he like a four? Is he a is he a three like what position do you think he plays on offense yeah I think he's going to be a better Josh Green in the same role that he played with Dallas just that kind of he pretty much had to play power forward because it would just be the athletic guy who can pass and move the ball a ton and cut 
I think Kendall Brown's the best cutter. I think that'll do a lot for him. But like you said, we talked about this with Sohan and Dyson Daniels. When you don't have a lethal jump shot, it negates a lot of your other offensive strengths. I do think with Kendall Brown, though, something he has going for him is if you watch the – I don't remember when it really started, but in conference play, I know, is when it changed. Um, I don't know when the issues themselves started presenting themselves. But Kendall Brown and James Akinio, like, they just – Akinio wouldn't pass to him or Sohan. He would look both of them off and try and create his own look, go to Chama Chachua, uh, just go to any other – anyone else but those two. And I think that's when those numbers started declining – was around then. So I wonder what he'll look like in an NBA system where it's more catered to his strengths, doesn't have as, um, you know, divisive of a point guard handling the ball. Oh, is that some Mavs draft insider information or is it just observation? Observation. Observation. (laughs) All right. Well, we are in the area. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, man. That wraps it up. For this episode, we talked about a few of the prospects that we think are a little bit divisive. And we did this without talking about Kennedy Chandler, which was one of our our best episodes because we are so far apart on on Kennedy Chandler. But once again, thank you for making the NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I would suggest you check out the Locked on NBA podcast. And we are down to the very last few games of the NBA season and the Locked on NBA podcast has been covering the NBA playoffs since the first jump ball of the play-in tournament. And they will be there to the very last moment of the NBA Finals. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mr. Mavs Draft. And we are out.